And the, the, the arguments I've had where, where uh, you, you know, people have said, you know, uh, one guy, I've been in my church for like 15 years, ever since it started. I thought I was one of the key guys. And, and he comes to me, you know, just, just not too long ago, and he goes, you know, Francis, here's the problem with you. He goes, you think everyone needs to be this radical. You, you think that Jesus calls us all to be radicals. He goes, he goes, you know, you think there's just these few radicals, and, and, and he goes, you know, there's this, you got to understand, there's, a, there's this middle road where, where, you know, people, you know, they profess Christ and they do some good things, and it's like you're, 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 you're neglecting that whole middle road. Did you guys know that? There's a narrow road that leads to life. There's a wide road that leads to destruction. And now there's this new middle road. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. Like a carpooling. It's just this, this weird new road we created where you can just do some good things in the name of Jesus and still hold... It's, it's, you know, you know you're, just, you're serious right now. You're dead serious. You found a middle road. I, I, you guys, I, I'm not a real... you got to understand. Those who know me know that I'm not a real complicated guy. I... I, I, I tend to think like a kid. I tend to just go, wow, that seems like what it says. You know, I, I, I remember when, uh, when I was a kid, we used to play this game called Follow the Leader. Remember that? I mean, some of you guys don't, because you just played video games. And you, you, but we used to play this game called Follow the Leader, where the leader, you know, flaps his wings, and you do the same thing. And it was easy. You, you just do what the leader did. And it's so weird how in the church we've twisted this. And follow Jesus is a different game. You don't really have to flap your wings. You don't accent. You can just sit there and do it in your heart. Seriously. You know, when I read the scriptures, as man, whoever claims to, to know it must must walk as Jesus walked. But we go, well, no, I'm doing that in my heart. You're like the kid sitting on the recliner, going, no, "I'm flapping my wings in my heart." It doesn't make sense. It's, 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 it, we, we distort things because of what we want. You know, remember, you remember Simon Says? That was easy, right? Simon Says, pat your head. But Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you, you, you just have to memorize it. That's what we do in the church. If Jesus said, you just got to study it. You, you, just gotta, you, you just have to be able to quote it in the Greek. You just, it's, 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 it has nothing to do with, hey, Jesus says. You go, look, look, when my daughter, you know, comes to me and I go, look, go clean your room. She knows better than to come back a few hours later and goes, Dad, I, I memorized what you said. <laughs> I can say it in Greek. In fact, some of my friends, we're going to, they're going to come over and we're going to do a little study on what it would look like to clean my room. It just, it's not making sense to me. And, and all I can say is that we're twisting things. We do. We do in the church. And we, we create this little way where we don't actually have to do what Jesus called. Hey, Amen. Okay, kids, you guys may be dismissed. <laughs> Along the lines of what Francis was saying there, I think to myself today, 
Saying you're a Christian today doesn't really mean a whole lot. See, every politician is out there today is saying that they're Christians. Every debate that you listen to, they tell you that they're Christians because they want this evangelical vote. Everyone in church this Sunday says, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. But not everyone is truly a disciple of Christ. Today, I would like to, just for a couple of moments, talk about two things. Contenders or pretenders. Your service does not cancel out your sin. The things that you do does not cancel out your sin. If you do good things, you know, I love the fact that we, we feed people at Sequoia Dawn. I love that. I love that we give away bread. I love the way we give out the food. But I told one of the guys that's in charge of it at the very beginning, I said, listen, if this does not reflect Jesus Christ, then I don't want to do it. It means nothing. It doesn't cancel out my sin. I don't do some good over here on this side, and then it cancels out all the bad things that I do over here. Excuses we make. He knows my heart. See, I have a good heart. I'm a good person. What does the Bible say about our hearts? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Psalms 139.23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I love this. We put this on our bumper stickers. Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. See, we use that as an excuse for all the bad things that we do. We use this excuse for all the character flaws and all the things in our life that don't line up with Christ. See, in this, the earthly realm, the, the consequences of sin are different. You murder, you go to prison. You speed, you get a ticket. But in the spiritual realm, they all grieve and quench the Spirit of God. Small or big, they all quench the Spirit of God. The difficulty I have in this is what I've said to you guys before, is the difficulty of this is they have to walk this tightrope because on one side there are those that will say, hey, you're, you preach too hard, Greg, and I don't even feel like I'm saved. I've had people say that to me. And then on the other side, the other ones are saying, listen, you know what, if I just settle right here, everything will be okay and I'm good. I wonder if you said you were a Christian today in America, would it mean something different if you said the same thing in Iraq? I wonder this morning if you said, these politicians who say they're Christians, I wonder if they said that in Syria, if it would mean something different than it does in our society. I'm talking this morning about two things. A false grace that allows you to remain in sin. A true grace that says no to sin. True grace that takes us out of sin and a false grace that actually will keep us in sin, actually sustains us in the sin. See, I want us to know this morning, we are saved by grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Do not m mistake what I'm trying to tell you today by the way we live and by the things that we do, that that is going to save you. All of it is filthy rags, the Bible says. It is completely dependent upon Him. The obvious conclusion would be then, if this finished work of Jesus has already been done, 
then why, what part do I even have to play in this? That's what some have already, that's what the false grace movement in the churches today is, is, is teaching. It's already done, so why do I even need to do anything? I can just sit back and enjoy this grace. I don't have any part to play in this. He, he, didn't you tell me just a couple weeks ago, Greg, that he's the one that draws me in? He's the one that saves me. It's by his blood that he saved me. Didn't you say all those things? Yes, I did. So with that said, would it be easy for us to just go, well, let me just sit back then. I, I used those tubes last week and go, I'm just going to ride the Grace River. There's no challenge on my life. In fact, why are you challenging me? Why are you challenging me? Because, you know, Greg, I, I, it's already been done. Past, present, and future, my sins are forgiven. I want to explore this this morning further. I hope I can get through all this, and, but I want to make sure I can do it justice. Grace brought a whole new responsibility. When I say grace, I'm talking about Jesus Christ being that grace. That grace brought a whole new responsibility in our lives. You say, well, no, I thought it just, I thought when he, he, all we had to do is confess and it's done and all we have to do is, is, is confess Jesus as Lord and believe and it's all, it's all done for us. Well, think about what Jesus said because a lot of us like, the, that's what the grace movement today wants to do. This, this, this uh, false grace movement says, hey, you know what? You don't have to obey anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have a responsibility. You know, there's no commandment. Well, let's see what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You've heard it said of men of old, don't commit murder. But I tell you, if you hate someone, you've already done it in your heart. He said, you know what? You've heard it said of old, don't commit adultery. But I will tell you this, if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Does that sound like Jesus was abolishing all the old commands and saying, see these commands, the, the, the thing about murder, that's a good command. Jesus took it to a whole other level. This grace calls with it a whole new responsibility, a whole new responsibility in our parts. The problem is, is many times what we do is we focus on, there's two sides of this as we focus on ourselves. We constantly beat ourselves up with sin. We get bogged down to the point where we feel like we can't measure up. How can I even attain this? All I see is my failure. This nearsighted thinking, all it does is encapsulate me and all I can think about is me and where I'm failing. The other side is the part that says, well, this is just my nature. This is who I am. At least I'm not out committing adultery or murder. I'm generally a good person. Look at all the good things I do. I do good things for people. Look at these things. Your service does not cancel out your sin. There are two types of people. Contenders and pretenders. Today I want to look at these, these two. Some of us today would say, well, I know I'm saved. Okay, I, I challenge us this morning that when we say that, how can we believe we're saved? How do we know that we're saved? Because someone told us that we had to do a certain thing and so we did it? Or did we ever, ever look in the book and get into the book and find out what it really means to be a Christian? See, in 1 John 2.6, it says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. 
There are many that can talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. There are many today that are even in church. They serve. They do good things. But yet they have lost that pursuing of God, that first love of God. See, I love the grace of God. Because it sustains me, it keeps me, it empowers me, it changes me, it invigorates me. What he did for me is is how he changed my standing before God. That is powerful. The fact that he adopted me, it's powerful. The fact that he said he would draw me in, he would even think enough. David said it like this, who am I that you are even mindful of me, God, that you would draw me into this place? I want us this morning just to drop all our our preconceived ideas, everything we've been taught, and everything that we've maybe read, but I want us to look inside and see what the Word of God really says about it. John 12, 48 says, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has, has, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is the one that will judge him at that last day. Jesus' words, that's what Francis was saying from the very beginning. You know, that's the problem with people today. Is See, we don't understand that the Word of God is going to judge us. The things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus said, even if we're Christians. See, we have this, well, I'm, I'm in this little bubble. I have this grace bubble around me. I don't have to do anything. Yes, you know what? Grace is going to empower me to work. Grace works. Grace works. Grace is demonstrated in my life. Today, we have to know the playbook, but many of us have never opened the playbook. When I was in high school, I played football. I went out for the football team the first year. Now, this was an exciting event. I went out, tried out for the team, made the team. I could catch the ball. And I would run around and catch the ball, and, and, and the coaches saw that, and they're like, whoo, look, that guy, he's got good hands. Let's, let's, he's getting, he's, let's get, him out on, get him out on the playing field. I remember the very first game. I got out there, and I was so excited. And I got into the huddle, and the quarterback called the play. And I thought he was talking to me in Greek. I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't even know what he just said. So much so that I didn't even know where to line up. I was running around out there. The second play, by the second play, the coach had had enough. He goes, get over here, Stoffel. And when they call you Stoffel, you know what I mean? That they mean? They want you over the sideline. What are you doing? I said, I don't know. <laughs> See, I could catch the ball. I had a uniform on. But I didn't know the playbook. See, that's where many of us operate in our Christian experiences. We have all the garb on. We can even catch the ball. We do, we do the works. We know what it looks like. But the playbook? I don't know what that looks like. Jude, it's interesting that, that you used the, the book of Jude this morning. Jude only has one chapter, and he says in Jude 1, 3, and 4. It says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert 
the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign, sovereign and Lord. This is, this is what I'm talking about today. He talks about these very two people, contenders and pretenders. Contenders and perverters of the grace of God. He's dealing with these two issues. And he deals with them in relation to our salvation. That's not something we want touched. Hey, let me, let me, let me think I'm saved. I went to the altar one time. I'm done. I did it, Greg. I don't have, there's nothing else for me. I thought it was interesting. If you look at Jude, the two books in the Bible that a lot of the, the new grace movement have problems with is the book of Jude and the book of James. And you want to know something? Jude and James were Jesus' brothers. Isn't it interesting that they would have seen what it looked like to be, to see what, what it looked like in their family, to know what it looked, Jesus Christ looked like, not just on the level of out in the open, but right there at home. He said it here, he says, contend, he says he's wanting them to contend and also watch out for those that pervert the grace of God. This word contend, I felt com- he says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. This word means a contest, a competition, properly to contend. It means literally to struggle upon, appropriately, with the skill and commit- commitment in opposing whatever is not of faith. It is that godly persuasion. See, many today use the platform of grace to live how they want, free of restraint, but I believe that Jude here is opposing that. He, he saw what it looked like. He, he, was, he, was, he saw what it looked like to truly know what the grace of God looked like in the life of a person. Those who pervert the grace of God, this false grace, are pretenders. But I want you to know this morning, there are extremes on both sides of this. There are those that then on the other side that go, well, every time I sin, I feel like I've lost my salvation. And that's not true. Someone say, well, how how many times do I sin before I've... It's not a matter of that. I want you to be so confident in your relationship with God. And I believe that this morning, I'm going to show you some scriptures that will base your confidence in something more than just something you've heard in the past. Did you know this? That Stalin and Hitler were both Christians. One of them even went to Bible school. See, I don't think it's too much to ask. See, see, today you you say, like with Francis at the beginning, Greg, all you believe is in this radical gospel. I do, because you know what? I believe that if this word is alive in us, it will become automatic on how we live. The realization of what he has done for us will cause us to contend I don't work because I'm working for my salvation. I work because of my salvation. Out of thanks, out of obedience, out of love, out of His grace. Is it too much for, for Him to ask of me? He bought me. He purchased me. His blood would actually do what it says. It actually causes me to have a right standing before Him. That I would actually strive to want to be like Him. 
You're going to fail. I know. But I'll continue to contend. In John, first, in John 10, 27, it says, My sheep listen to my voice and, know, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now this is a verse that many today help. It's, it's, it's a confidence builder in who you are in Christ. I'm going to show you some scriptures. We're going to go through a little gamut of scriptures here. So just hang tight with me. But I want you just to keep them in your mind as we go through. And and he says that no one will snatch them out of my hand. Philippians 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So here we have that. But then there's this contrast. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over and over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. 2 Peter 3.17 Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by error of the lawless and the fall from your secure position. If, if it is this whole idea of, and this is what some people would say, once you're saved, you're always saved. There's nothing, there's nothing about, then why would the Bible warn of falling away? 2 Peter 2.20, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our Savior, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. See, Greg, it's scriptures like this that make me wonder if I'm saved. 1 Corinthians 15.2 By this gospel you were saved. If you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. At first thought, I thought this was a contradiction. The scriptures I gave you at the beginning and then this contrast. I thought to myself, is there a contradiction going on? Or as I searched the scriptures, was God intentionally leaving it this way? See, the Bible openly warns of the possibility of falling away, yet promises that we are sealed to the day of redemption. We can be fully confident that I cannot be snatched out of the hand of God, yet I will live daily repenting. Some of you guys are going to get this. Some of you guys are going to go, oh, I see what's happening here. There's something going on. He wants me to feel, be secure in who I am in Christ, but at the same time, I walk this life out. 
He desires us to keep reaching, ever stretching for more, to contend, not to, not to pretend. This is the teaching that would be out there today that says there is no reason to even repent. No need, no need to re- because Jesus, if he's already done this, you're once you're saved, you're always saved. There's not really nothing you can do outside of that realm. Then why would you even need to repent? That's what teach it, they're, they're teaching even in, in today with this, for, this open grace that says that, you know what, why do I even have to worry about that? But think about what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. You, he prayed it like this. Forgive us our debts or trespasses or our sins as we forgive those who trespassed against us. He says, when you pray, was this a one-time thing or was this going to be a continual thing that me, I go before him constantly? God, forgive me. I failed today. Repenting means, though, that I don't just waller in it, but that I turn from it. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Revelations 2.5 says, therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds as you did at first, or else I am going to coming, I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. This He was talking to was a church that had lost their first love. David himself, he asked, he, in fact, J- James says it like this, James, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Psalms, and David said it like this, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant or contrite heart, O God. I don't automatically become unsaved if I sin. I don't automatically become saved, uh, unsaved if I, if, I, if I sin a couple times. But at what point does my love grow cold that He has to call me to repentance and take my lampstand? The lawless one wants to come and lead us away. The early church, I like to look at the third and second and third and fourth centuries and see how the early church reacted to, to, to things like this. Because I believe it's, today we look, have all this new creativity, but if you look back in, the, in, in, in that time, directly right after Jesus was on this earth, what was the way they taught? What was the things that they said? And it says this, don't you think it's a problem that the early church had the they didn't they never talked about the belief of once saved always saved. In fact, they were in there. There was plenty of Christian pastors and theologians in the first and three and four centuries uh, who who would say to this: Don't be complacent in your faith. Live a life not in willful sin, lest you perish and and then have eternal damnation. My warning today is this. I don't want you to grow cold. I don't want you to get lukewarm. I want you to finish strong. I want you to finish hard. I want you to finish better than you started. The true measure of a Christian isn't how they started, but how they finish. Many of us have lost the fire, that love. Today in our churches, we think that it's acceptable. But I want you to know today, it is not acceptable. God does not want us to be pretenders. He wants us to be contenders. 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only the one who gets the prize? Run it in such a way to get the prize. Jesus tells the story of the wheat and the tares. In Matthew chapter 13, he he says this, Jesus told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed a good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and they went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, 
Then the weeds also appeared. The other servants came in and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? If you look at the weeds and the wheat, when they just begin to sprout, it's very hard to distinguish them. In fact, I will even offer you that the seed is very difficult to distinguish. When a person is in that formidable stage where they're they're wanting to to really know who Jesus Christ is, it's really hard to, to determine if they really are contender or a pretender. But it is... But it is, it, it, the Bible goes on to say, the enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while, you were pull, while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Why did he say this? Because he understood, if this is wheat... Wheat, wheat's head will bow when it's fully mature. Think about that in the spiritual realm. That's how you can distinguish the weeds and the wheat. They will bow over because of the weight. I have this statement of faith that I thought would go along with the scriptures that we've talked about today. I believe that Christ who started a work in me will complete it. I believe that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. I believe I need to be daily repenting before the Lord because I know myself and I sin. I can be easily carried away by lawless men, pride and self-deception. And I need people in my life to correct me, admonish me that I may continue to grow in the Lord and not fall away from my secure position in Christ. See, that's this balance that I'm talking about. Is this balance says, I am totally secure. When I abide in Him, I have nothing to fear. I'm saved. I know. I'm sanctified. I'm set apart. But I do know that I need to walk this out in repentance. Paul said this. He says, He said, and I'll say this, I choose to sleep as one who believes that my salvation is secure, yet live daily seeking the Lord and daily repenting, knowing how easily I can be led astray. If Paul said so, what did Paul say about this? He said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it a slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is Paul talking. I believe it's just as dangerous to believe that you are licensed to sin and do whatever you want without an eternal consequence and believe that salvation to given you by Christ is unstable, flaky, or uncertain. I want you to know that when Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient. It is enough. He could turn to the, 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 the robber, the, the thief that was next to him on the cross and say, tomorrow you will be with me in paradise. It is that secure. We can be certain that if we remain in Christ, our salvation is secure. And the only way we can continue to remain in Christ is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, daily repentance, and surrendering to Christ. Proverbs 24.16 says, For the righteous will fall seven times and rise again. The righteous 
It's not this righteous man that will never fall. It's this righteous man that he knows he's going to fall. This righteous man that says, you know what, by the mercy of God, by the power and of his strength, that I may continue to die daily. The Apostle Paul said that. I live in Christ. This eternal security, the two words that that seem to be the, the words that tied to what I'm talking about this morning are two things. Eternal security and conditional security. I believe in them both. I believe that the Bible teaches both of them. I believe from the scriptures I've shown you today that it's, it's, it's apparent that I can be secure in who I am in Christ, but as I walk this life out before Him. I don't want any of us to be insecure in who that, that we know, that we know, that we know that Jesus is our Lord. I want that you know that when you've confessed Him as Lord, as you're living your life out, I don't want you to ever doubt. I don't want you to have a fear that, oh man, I'm, I'm going to fall. No, listen, you are secure in who you are in Christ. But it is this walking it out daily, living it out. Because those, those crops, the wheat and the tares are growing up together. He says, don't, and it's amazing to me, as he waits until it's harvest time. And he says, then we're going to bundle them together. Then we will see who's who. Contenders or pretenders today. My heart's cry is that we are all contenders. We're contending for the faith. That we go back to what Jude said. This salvation that he's given us is such a precious gift that I don't take it lightly, this grace that He has given me, I will not trample it by continually, continually walking in sin. But I say, God, I want to be more like you every single day. That's what I'm talking about this morning. This morning as we close, I'm going to, pray, I'm going to play this song. And as on the chorus part, you guys feel free to jump in with this.